We've been walking through a series in Revelation, and today we're going to step into chapter 14. Now, before we read the first part of chapter 14, remember that Revelation 13 was the chapter that revealed this vision of the red dragon, Satan himself, bringing forth the beast from the sea, the beast from the land. Some would call the Antichrist and the prophet, creating this unholy trinity that seeks to deceive the entire world into turning away from God and turning against everyone who follows Christ and giving themselves fully to the worship of the red dragon and the beast from the sea. It's an amazing picture of deception that floods the earth. And in that vision of the dragon and the beast, right at the end of that comes a brand new, unbelievable, incredible vision that John sees that literally should affect every single thing we do in our lives. When I was back in high school, my senior year of high school, I had moved out of my mom's house where I'd been living. My mom and dad were divorced. I moved out of her house and I moved into my dad's house. That worked out for about two weeks and I moved out of there and I was basically on my own my senior year of high school. And a gracious family from the church I was attending opened their home to me and I was able to live with them for my senior year. And one day while I was sitting in class, again, I'm on my own basically, and I was sitting in class and I got this message from the office saying that I needed to come to the office immediately. And I thought, my first thought was, I wonder what I have done. I am obviously in trouble And I was nervous walking down the office. I was certain that something was wrong and that I was fixing to get in trouble. And I walked into the office and they sent me to the counselor. I did not know the counselor well and that made me even more nervous. And so I walked into the counselor's office. I sat down and I was very anxious about it. And she began to share with me how there were people in the school who had been watching me and were concerned about my life. And she went on to tell me that they had secured a monthly small stipend, a little gift to help me with my expenses. It wasn't much, but I'm going to tell you right now, there was a church that I didn't even attend that just wanted to help a student in need. And the people in the school felt like I would be that student. And I'm going to tell you, when I left that office that day, I promise you this, I never saw that place the same again. That little gift changed the way I saw everybody in the office. And from that point forward, I saw that as a place of friendship, concern, and care. Now let's read Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 1. I looked and behold, the Lamb standing upon Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, having his name and the name of his father written upon their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven. as the sound of many waters like great thunder sounding in the heavens. And a voice which I heard was like the harpists playing their harps. They sang a new song, 
before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one was able to learn the song except the 144,000 who were purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have kept themselves from being defiled with women. They are pure. These are the ones who are following the Lamb wherever he goes. These are the ones who have been purchased from among men, first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouths no lie was found. They are blameless. This vision of the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion is even more than a contrast to the vision in Revelation 13 of the red dragon bringing forth the beast from the sea and the land. This is a contrast that goes even beyond Revelation 13. There's a story in the Old Testament about Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Several months after he led them out of Egypt, they were going through the wilderness, the wilderness of Sinai. And God had told Moses, I want to meet with you on Mount Sinai. And when I meet with you, I'm going to come down, I'm going to speak with you. And this is where God was going to give Moses the Ten Commandments. This was the premier defining moment for the people of God where they would hear about the requirements of following God so that if they walked in those requirements, they would experience the grace and the power of His presence with them from that day forward into the Promised Land. This was the defining moment for His people. The people were watching this unfold and Moses was standing before the mountain and God came down on the mountain with this fire and smoke and the ground was literally shaking underneath the feet of the people. And God wanted Moses to come up and he wanted the people to gather close enough to the edge of the mountain to overhear the conversation between Moses and God so that the people could hear the voice of God and respond to who God is and what he was saying. When the people saw this, they were terrified. They were seeing God fall on the mountain. They were feeling the ground quake underneath their feet. And this is what they said to Moses. Moses, you go and have the talk with God. We're going to get as far away from this as we can. We don't want to hear his voice. We'd just rather you go up there and deal with him. And then you come back and tell us because we are scared out of our mind. So you go do this. That's Mount Sinai. People so afraid that they won't even come close to who God is. They don't even want to hear what God says. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, we see a defining passage for getting a clear understanding of Mount Zion. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, we read that we have not come to Mount Sinai, but we have come to Mount Zion. And here in Revelation chapter 14, we see the vision of the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion. We have come to Mount Zion, not to Mount Sinai, 
Mount Zion is a different experience. It's a different place. It's a place where the Lamb of God stands. We don't have to run and be afraid. We don't have to shrink back at the voice of God. We don't have to be scared out of our minds and say, I don't want to hear the voice of God. No, that's not where we are. We are at Mount Zion where the Lamb of God stands in the victory of his cross, death on the cross. He stands issuing an invitation for all those who would to trust him with everything they are. We stand at Mount Zion. Now God is as holy as he always has been. He is as terrifying as he always has been. He is demanding as he always has been. And he is standing on Mount Zion in all his holiness. But listen, we stand at Mount Zion before the Lamb of God. And here is the crazy thing about it. We haven't changed either. I mean, God is as holy as he always has been, and we are sinful. We are not any less sinful than the Israelites who are standing at Mount Sinai, scared to death to approach a holy God. We are sinful. But here's the change. Standing at Mount Zion is the Lamb of God who covered all our sins by his death on the cross. And he has invited us into a relationship with the holy God, not because we've become less sinful, but because he has shed his blood to cover our sin. That passage in Hebrews chapter 12 says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's referring to another Old Testament story where Cain and Abel were brothers. And they got in a little disagreement around sacrifices offered to God. And Cain was actually angry at Abel because God had accepted Abel's sacrifice, but God had not accepted Cain's sacrifice. And because of what it seems to be anger and jealousy and envy, Cain rose up and struck down his brother and killed him. And the Bible implies that from the ground, Abel's blood was crying out for justice to come upon Cain. And that passage in Hebrews says that Jesus' blood is crying out something far better. You know what Jesus' blood is crying out? Justice has been accomplished at the cross when Jesus Christ gave his life for your sins. The debt has been paid. And when we see the Lamb of God at Mount Zion, we see the Lamb of God standing in victory for us who have decided to follow Jesus Christ, reminding us of this incredible picture of God's great gift. I honestly do not know if there is a better picture of the grace of Jesus Christ and the gift of his salvation than seeing the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion. That's what we see here. And we see the 144,000 gathered with the Lamb of God. We first saw the 144,000 back in Revelation chapter 7. And Revelation chapter 7 emphasized that everyone who decides to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is sealed by the living God. 
They've received the seal of the living God. And that seal from the living God seals them off from the wrath of God. So that those who've received the seal have protection from God's wrath that is pouring out. So that everyone who follows Jesus Christ never experiences the wrath of God. Period. Never. And here in Revelation 14... When we see the 144,000 again, what we are seeing in this moment is the people who are marked by the Lamb, having His name and the name of God the Father written on their foreheads. You see the contrast again here with Revelation 13? Revelation 13, everybody who followed the beast had the mark of the beast. Revelation 14, everybody who follows Jesus Christ has the mark of Jesus Christ. The name of the Lamb and the name of God the Father written on their foreheads. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ is sealed by the living God from the wrath of God. And everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ belongs to to the Lord. You belong to Him. Everyone in Revelation 13 belonged to the beast and they had His mark. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ has been purchased from the earth and received the mark, the name of Christ, because you belong to Him. And 144,000 who have the name of Jesus Christ written on them, they sing a new song. They sing a new song. You know, when I went to the office that day as a senior in high school and had that experience, I thought this morning about that experience. I thought, you know, that's one of those experiences that if I were a songwriter, I'd probably write a song about it. Now, why would I do that? Because it, it affected my life. And we write songs about things that change us. Now, I might have embellished the song a little bit and wrote about how when I came out of the counselor's office, I saw this beautiful uh, young woman, the high schooler of my dreams. We met, fell in love. You know, something I'd probably embellish it in some way like that. But still, you write songs about experiences that you have that change your life. And here, we see the 144,000 standing before the throne. They're singing a brand new song. That no one can know except the 144,000. Do you know that only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will have the experience of final and full redemption? And in that moment we experience redemption, we will sing a song. Because we will have never experienced anything like that. They sing a new song. There's this incredible description here in Revelation 14 about the lives of the 144,000. The description starts out a little bit odd. Saying that they've not defiled themselves with women. They've remained pure or chaste. Now... One of the things that that actually alludes to is the Mount Sinai picture because one of the requirements at Mount Sinai is that before they approached the Lord, they had to remain pure. But there's more than that going on here. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3 in the letters to the churches, 
If you remember, we talked about how idolatry is described as either including or actually simply being an act of sexual immorality. That idolatry and the worship of of things that are not God involve the practice of sexual immorality. It's talked about several places in the letters to the churches. Then if you read throughout the rest of Revelation, you're going to see multiple times where sexual immorality is talked about in the context of idolatry. So that the understanding of the way Revelation presents sexual immorality is that it's always seen as something involving idolatry. And so what Jesus Christ is describing here in those who follow him is a description of those who have given every effort to be free from idolatry. You want to know what characterizes those who have the mark of Jesus Christ, the name of the Lamb and God the Father written on their foreheads? I'll tell you what characterizes them. They strive with everything they are to keep themselves free from idolatry. Incredible picture. In addition to that, the description here in Revelation 14 about these 144,000. Let's look at that again. Verse 4 says they keep themselves free from being defiled and then they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Those who have the name of Jesus Christ written on their foreheads follow Jesus Christ no matter what, no matter where. If you think about the description in Revelation 13, where the entire world system is against those who follow Christ, they can't function in any kind of normal life because everything about normal life is turned against them to bring difficulty, hardship, and suffering. The entire world is violently opposed to everybody who follows Christ. So that everybody who follows Christ loses everything they value, everyone that's special. They suffer immensely and they lose even their own lives. And the description of those people who have decided to follow Christ no matter what, no matter where, is we have found life in Christ. So we will follow him no matter what, no matter where. And then the final phrases of this description of this 144,000 is full of images of sacrifice. Let's read that one more time. The end there of verse, verse 5. In whose mouth there was no lie found. They are blameless. And then right at the end of verse 4. The first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Just images of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the way that sacrifices were described used the term oftentimes first fruits. It was the idea that God had given us everything we have as the people of God. And because God is the one who has given us everything we have, we as his people will show thanks to him and worship to him by giving back out of what he's given to us the first fruits of what he's given us. So the best of what we have received, we will give back to God in worship and thanksgiving because of what God has done for us. Worship. As sacrifice. And then the the description of no lie in their mouth. 
They are blameless. That is a description that is given to beginning in the Old Testament with animal sacrifices. You are to sacrifice an animal to God that is without blemish, blameless. Now, all of that was ultimately pointing to the one sacrifice given once and for all that is blameless above all other blameless things, Jesus Christ. And many times in the Old Testament, Jesus is described as the coming Savior who had no deceit in his mouth and who was blameless. In the New Testament, picks up on those descriptions of Jesus and emphasizes again, no deceit in his mouth. Now you see the contrast in that in Revelation 13. What floods the earth? Deception from the mouth of the deceiver, the red dragon, saturates the earth. With a lamb standing on Mount Zion, there's never once been deceit in his mouth. Everything he's promised has been true. Everything he's told us we can bank on. He is absolutely true and without blame and he gave himself as a sacrifice for us so that those who have his name written on their foreheads are characterized by the one who gave himself for them by giving themselves for his glory every day the rest of their lives what characterizes those who have his name written on their foreheads is a life of worship Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can live lives of worship. We can give ourselves for the glory of Christ. That's the description of the 144,000 who are ready to follow Christ wherever he leads, no matter what, no matter where. A couple weeks ago, Lindley and I were able to visit what is a rebuilding or replica of Lottie Moon's house. It's been put back together. Pieces of it were brought over um, from China. And it's been put back together in a building on Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's campus. And they've got a big display there talking about Lottie Moon. You can walk through her house, see some of her furniture, and see descriptions about her and quotes from her and different aspects of her life. It was really a fabulous experience. If you're not familiar with Lottie Moon, she was born in 1840-something. And uh, 1840, I believe, and she was born in Virginia. And when she was raised in a Christian home, she decided when she was in college that she was going to rebel against Christianity. But along the way, she made a decision because of the, 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 the work of Christ in her life and the proclamation of the gospel of her family and friends. She made a decision to follow Christ, and she was baptized at a First Baptist Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. And she was ready to follow Christ. Well, she had received her master's degree. Now, that's a remarkable accomplishment in the mid-1800s. And she became a teacher. And she was giving her life in that way. In the middle of this pursuit of her career, she decided, I want to leave. And I want to go to China. Because I want to follow Christ no matter what, no matter where. And I want the people of China to come to know Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, like I do. And at 32 years old, that's like 1870, she left. And she left her family. She left a man who had proposed, wanted to marry her. She left her home, she left her career, she left everything. And she went 
halfway across the world, and she gave 39 years of her life in the 1800s in China. I've been to China in the 2000s. I'm telling you, I can't imagine what it was like in the 1800s. And she joyfully gave her life so that others might know the Lamb of God. I read a quote of Lottie Moon's in that exhibit. She said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. Well, that struck me. I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. Revelation 14 is the vision of the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion, reminding each one of us, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have his name written on our foreheads. You belong to Jesus. And if you have trusted in him, you belong to him so that you might spend your life telling others about Christ. The reason he has written his name on your forehead through you trusting in Jesus Christ is so that he might display his kindness to the world in you so that they might see and know that the Lamb of God will one day stand on Mount Zion and there's no reason why anybody should miss the opportunity to know and follow Jesus. He has marked you with his name, so that you might spend your life so others might spend eternity with Jesus. That's why you've received the sealing of God. And when you are sealed with living God's seal, when you are marked with his name written on your forehead, you can at that moment know that you never, ever have to be afraid again. No matter what you face, no matter what difficulty is showering down on your life today, you don't have to be afraid. Not only that, but you can know without a doubt because God has written his name on you and you belong to him and he has set you apart so that his kindness could be displayed to you so that the world can see the Lamb of God. You can know that you will always have God acting for you. He is never against you. You think about those who are living in the day, who will be living in the day of Revelation 13. Everything in the world is against them, but God is for them. And they're willing to follow God no matter what, no matter where, 
because they know no matter how bad life gets, God is still for them. I'm still amazed at times when I hear about people experiencing difficult and hard things in life and they actually begin to think maybe this is happening to be because of something I did wrong way back then and I'm getting a call to the principal's office. Maybe the reason things haven't worked out for me like I thought they would is because God's really not happy with me. Maybe the fact that my life is hard right now is because God is really upset with some of the things I've done and I've not yet been able to pay back for what I've done wrong. I see and I hear that in people's lives and what they talk about when they think about the bad things that are happening in life and they want to explain it. And so many times, God-fearing Christians who have the name of God written on their foreheads will talk about the difficulties in their life as if God is doing it to them because of some mistake they made in their past and they're never going to experience the grace and the victory and the awesome power of God like somebody else because they weren't as good as them. I just want to tell you, the seal of the living God and the name of God written on your forehead means you never, ever experience the wrath of God. God is not against you. He is for you. Well, then why are bad things happening to me if God is for me? We li- listen to this. This is very important. We live in a broken world that is cracked by sin. And God knows that until Jesus returns, the brokenness will continue to be pervasive in the earth. And so here's what he does. This is wonderful. I'm so grateful this is true. God leaves us in the middle of the brokenness. And we experience to a large degree the same brokenness as the world around us. But in the midst of that brokenness, we are the people who know that God is with us. And he will never leave us, forsake us. And that someday, when we decide to follow Jesus Christ, no matter what, no matter where, someday we will meet Jesus Christ and he will cover our lives with joy and redemption and peace and love and purpose forever that will make up for every degree of suffering and hardship we've walked through. And until that day, we trust in Christ so that people in the world who are enduring the same sufferings as we endure might see how we trust in the Lamb every step of the way and we still have joy. I don't want God to deliver me from my hardship if me walking through my hardship would help somebody who's right in the middle of that hardship find the lamb. That's what's happening. We get to walk through all the junk in life and man, I love it when we don't have to. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about wanting to not walk through the hardship. But the reality is most of us in this room are gonna have hardship from, the day, from this day to the day we die that we prefer not to have. That's the longing in our hearts for heaven and that's the promise of the lamb standing on Mount Zion that's given to every one of us. And so we better cling to that promise when we walk through the difficulty so the rest of the world can see there's a lamb coming. He will stand on Mount Zion and you some day can be redeemed just like me follow Jesus Christ no matter what no matter where we've got to make a decision 
of what we really want to live like, what we really want to give our lives to. And what God has invited us into is an opportunity of following Jesus Christ no matter what, no matter where, so that others might see Christ. If you decide to follow Christ no matter what, no matter where, you know what you're going to discover? That that decision is like opening a door to the experience of real life. The moment you decide, I will follow you no matter what, no matter where. If you call me to the ends of the earth, I will follow you. If you call me to follow you in this way, I'm coming. No matter what, no matter where. The moment you decide that that's how you want to follow Christ, it's like opening a door to life. A gift that you get to experience every single day. You get to experience in the midst of the hardship knowing Christ. So that everything you face, whether it's the worst thing you've ever imagined facing, it's right in the middle of that. You know more about Christ and you find that you can share more about him in the world in which you live. The moment you decide to follow Christ, no matter what, no matter where, you open a door to the gift of knowing Christ, having him shape your life every single day so that you become more and more who he created you to be, so that you give your life to following him for his glory, and in the midst you get to help others find Christ. There is no greater life, and you get to live that gift every single day, and it should change everything about us, no matter what, no matter where. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 17, the world is described as a place where people can make purchases of food and water only if they have the mark of the beast. So if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't make purchases. So the whole world is making purchases of the vital needs for life only because they have the mark of the beast. In that moment of the unfolding of the world that Jesus has given us insight into, Jesus wants us to know that in the moment the world is making purchases because of the mark of the beast, he has purchased everyone who follows him no matter what, no matter where. And he has put his mark on them. So that when they follow him, every suffering is met with joy. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, the Lamb of God is described as a shepherd who is leading his people, sealed with the seal of the living God, to the place of the springs of living water where God will wipe every tear from their eyes. If we decide to follow Jesus Christ no matter what, no matter where, someday he will lead us right into victory forever. He is so worth following. That is an indescribable gift.
someday the Lamb of God will stand on Mount Zion and we will be victorious. That's why we love God, love people, and help others do the same.